Welcome to Huge Quickly Podcast. I'm Danny. Good evening, Rebecca. Hi, Danny. I'm not going to waste any time because we have, we're going to get uh, ourselves my dad on the phone. Yes. Owner operator of the Ellensburg Recreational Marijuana Store, Cannabis Central. Very big news in the Hendricks family. Mm-hmm. And I'm interested to talk to him about what it's like over there in his weed shop. <laughs> He's going to tell us all about it. So let's get him on the phone, all right? Yeah. On Cannabis Central. Dad, it's your son. Yeah. How are you? <laughs> How you doing? <laughs> <laughs> I'm doing pretty well. It's I have to admit, it's a little weird to hear you answer uh, uh, the phone saying Cannabis Central. But I don't think I've heard that before. I don't think I've no, ever it, called into the store. It's uh, it's starting to feel kind of normal to me, and I've been here four months, you know, so. <laughs> so give it some time, Danny. Dad, that is uh, my friend Rebecca, co-host. I don't think, yeah, you guys haven't met, so mm. uh, you're just going to meet on the podcast. Hi. So you guys can get to know each other. <laughs> Hi. Um, so, yeah, so you are you are there at your store, your recreational marijuana store. That is correct. How is it, how so you said four months? How would you say it's going? How do you like it? Well, the the day part of it, you know, we're we're open uh, Monday through Friday or Monday through Saturday, ten to seven. Uh, Sunday, twelve to five. Uh, the the day part of it, the ten to seven part, is just a great gig. I mean, I I sit down here, I I, I play music on my little Pandora, and I drink coffee, and I talk to people all day long, and I sell a marijuana. You know, that's not a bad way to spend a day, really. You know. Um, I usually have anywhere from 65 to about 80 visitors a day and, uh, there's kind of a core, kind of a core of, uh, repeat customers and we talk about stuff, you know, their lives, their injuries, their parents, their Christmases, their, you know, whatever the case may be. And I'm a little bit like a bartender in that, in that respect, you know, uh, there's a, there's a small group of people that kind of come down and just kind of like to visit, you know, so, and you know me, I, I'm, I'm a bit of a talker. So uh, that part of it's good, you know. The there's work that begins before ten, and there's work that continues after we close at seven. Um, but the day part of the the, the the day part of the job is is nice. It's a good gig. It really is. I enjoy it, and I and I'm and you know I'm pretty good at it. You know. So. Well, you're a salesman. You 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 sold cars for how long before you started doing this? I was in the car business for a total of twenty nine years. Do you think that marijuana is easier to sell than cars? <laughs> yes, definitely. <laughs> what would you how would you describe like your your average customer? I mean, I'm I'm going to guess that people are kind of interested just it's interesting. It's new. I mean, how many how many stores do you think there are in the country too? I mean, what you 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 got to be in the first 100 legalized marijuana stores, right? You know, I don't know how many actually currently are licensed uh, recreationally in Colorado. When they started in January of this year, they started with a fairly uh, small group, and only those uh, stores who had been previously operating a medical marijuana store were allowed to proceed to the next step in Colorado um, with recreational. Now, they've just opened it up, and just recently, the first part of, uh, excuse me, November, they opened it up to... Uh, recreational store owners that had not previously been uh, medical. And the reason that's a key is because Colorado had a very strong, well-run, regulated, uh, compliance-driven, test-driven medical marijuana industry. So that was a very easy step for them to go into the recreational, whereas in Washington, we had a completely out-of-control 
medical uh, marijuana situation. And uh, so they had to start, you know, this subset over here that they call 502, these recreational stores. Um, I believe now in Washington State we're approaching 70 recreational stores licensed in the state of Washington, but I believe there's only roughly 55 or 56 actually open and operating. So between Colorado and Washington, there may be 125, 135 total recreational stores open and operating between the two states right now. And there are really some tax issues you guys are dealing with, right? I mean, does it seem like things are really going to change there? Do you know much about the the legislation changes that might be happening? I mean, that might be causing the prices to be high in Washington versus other places. Yes. Um, the way <clears throat> the way Washington chose to set up their recreational, um, and they, they kind of had to make a deal with the devil, so to speak, to to pull in some of the legislators that may have been uh, hesitant, resistant, uh, or just outright troubled with uh, a recreational marijuana uh, industry sprouting in Washington State. So they they really sat on us pretty heavy. Um, I only half joke that sometimes I feel like a parolee. I feel like a prisoner that's on parole sometimes. I'm on a very, very short leash, um, which is frustrating at times. Um, but... Uh, but what they did basically is they said they, unlike Colorado, they separated uh, the, the wholesale production uh, from the retail side. In Colorado, they wanted vertical. They wanted the, the grower, processor, and retailer to be all the same entity, whereas in Washington State, the Liquor Control Board <clears throat> decided to pursue a situation where they would separate the grower, processor. You can be a grower, and you can be a processor, and you can be a grower and a processor in Washington State. But you can't, if you're either one of those, you can't have anything to do, no money invested. You can't have any connection whatsoever uh, uh, officially with a recreational retail store. Conversely, I being a retail uh, store owner, I can have nothing to do with growing and or processing in any way, shape, or form. So what they did is they taxed, they added the 25% excise tax from the grower to the processor, 25% 25% from processor to retailer, and then 25% retailer to consumer. So that's that's heavy. Now, they did make one allowance. If, a, if, a, if an organization, and many organizations are both grower and processor, they only mandate that they add the 25% excise tax coming out of the processor on the way to the retailer. And then, of course, the retailer would then add 25% to, uh, to their price uh, for the consumer. And, of course, we add sales tax you know, to that total as well. Um, and and this was all, you know, fairly well known what was going to go on. That was, none of that was really a surprise. In addition, since it's still illegal federally, um, we are not allowed to run our business like a typical business in that we can't deduct normal business expenses. All we're allowed to deduct is, is uh, cost of goods sold. So the marijuana, the marijuana-infused uh, products that we might purchase and, wholes- and, and retail I can write off the cost of those of those goods as as uh, you know as their purchase price, um, but that's it. I can't deduct lease my lease payments, my labor, uh, my uh, compliance issues, my liability insurance, my advertising, my supplies. None of that can be deducted. So, um, and again, that was well known. That wasn't something that was that should have been no surprise to anybody going into this business. What was a surprise, however, was 
when the law was crafted in Washington State, when it was actually written, they made a mistake and they wrote it so that the excise tax that we're collecting from my retail customers across the counter, the IRS considers that to be non-deductible revenue. In other words, I have to pay income tax on the excise tax. Um, and that's a problem. That's a real problem. That's a, that's a spreadsheet wrecker um, because I pay at the rate of 39.8% um, income tax on that excise tax. So uh, bottom line, what it amounts to is from August 25th, my opening date, till, and I'm projecting till the end of this year, I'm facing a situation because of this, this, this problem and the way they wrote the law, I'm facing a situation where I'm going to be responsible for approximately $32,000 in additional unplanned for income tax. And that's, sorry. Is that something they're going to rectify? I mean, if it's a, okay. It's, it's apparently very high on the, on the, on the, the priorities, uh, for our legislature. And we, and I've been, there's a, there's a small group of us that have been fairly politically active, um, in, in Olympia. I've been to Olympia once. I've been to Seattle twice for two meetings, uh, and met with a grand total of eight state legislators. And they want 502 to succeed. Um, they, they know that some tweaking has to be done. The problem, the problem from their standpoint is, because it was an initiative, because it was an initiative of the people, I-502, they were not allowed to tweak the law for two years after the law was actually passed unless they had a two-thirds majority vote in the House and or Senate at the state level. Well, they knew they didn't have that, so they really didn't bother to attempt to tweak the laws until after the two-year point. They get Uh back into legislative session on January 12th, and uh, they've got some very severe budget issues that they have to deal with. So 502 and the revenue that it's capable of generating should, should, be, should be very, you know, should be a nice welcome source of revenue for, the, for, the, for Olympia. Um, but they also know that they have to help us be successful in order for this program to continue and for this program to survive, frankly. So um, we've met with several groups. Uh, I've actually joined an association. We have a full-time lobbyist and who's a very well-respected individual over in Olympia, and um, that's one thing that they definitely want to do. Um, the next step they want to take, too, is they, they have, they're, being, they're being told by the federal government, in effect, listen, part of the deal was, you know, in order to go forward with this recreational law in your state, we, this federal government um, you know, indicated under no uncertain terms that the medical marijuana needed to be gotten under control. And um, to date, really, Washington has done very little uh, tangible steps in getting the medical marijuana under control to the dismay of the federal government. So the federal government has been exerting quite a bit of pressure in a variety of ways uh, to ins- to ensure that Washington deals with that you know part of the bargain, and they and they plan to do that as well after the first of the year. Well, how how does the federal government really come in and say yeah. that they're going to go ahead and enforce an income tax on you on a product that they claim is illegal and therefore could technically arrest you for. Does that even address, is that addressed at any point? Well, that's a great question. And it's one of those, it's kind of the 800 pound gorilla in the room that nobody really wants to talk about the crazy uncle that nobody wants to talk about at the, at the Thanksgiving dinner table. You know, uh, it's there. It could render itself, um, I'm really dependent on the state of Washington to to hold up their end of the bargain, and I, I feel fairly confident that the feds will not touch me. The federal government loves 502. They love the regulatory 
uh, world that we live in. They love the fact that it's heavily regulated. They love the fact that it's compliance-driven and every ounce of, uh, well, not every ounce, literally, but every strain, every five pounds is tested by an independent third-party lab. There's revenue. It's it's transparent. Uh, there's traceability. Um, and it's... Um, it's uh, it's something that produces some you know income tax, some federal income tax as well, which of course across the country, since it is illegal, it's all underground. The federal government is kind of they're sending mixed signals because on one hand they're frustrated because there's all this activity and there's no income tax revenue coming in, but on the other hand it's driven underground in in no small part due to the fact that the federal government still insists that marijuana is a, a, you know worthy of being classified as Schedule One controlled substance. Uh, at the federal level, so and which, which it, is at the root of all of our problems, really. So, so working there now as long as you have, I mean, you must have a really good sense of what, what kind of like what type of person is coming in there. I mean, like, would you get the sense that it is replacing this this black market, or do you feel like people are coming in to try it for the first time because now it's legal and they've maybe been interested, but they don't want to break the law in the past? Or do or is it a mix of both? You know, what kind of I asked this originally, but what kind of customers do you think are coming in? Well, that's a that's an interesting question, and it's a fluid question. In that, when we first opened, our prices were about thirty five bucks a gram, including sales tax, pretty much across the board. Uh, we had very little to choose from. We had two or three strains that were available um, insofar as smokable marijuana. We had no edibles. We had no infused. Um, and so those people that were coming in, I think they were curious. I think they, you had, you had kind of a mixed bag. You had some who were curious. Um, they came in once or twice and I didn't see them for a while again. Um, you had people that were actively supporting the cause of having marijuana recreationally legal in the state. And people were actively stepping up and paying these high prices to help push this thing across the finish line and make it a success. Um, you had some people who, frankly, it was just too cumbersome. We don't, medical marijuana, really, when you think medical marijuana in Washington State, about 80% of all the dispensaries are located within the, uh, the city limits of Seattle proper. There's a few down in Pierce County, there's a few up in Snohomish County, and there's a few over in Spokane, but that's essentially it. About 80% of the total are located within the Seattle area, so it's not that convenient for most folks to pursue the medical, um, and I bring up medical because medical and, and black market, the, the lines are at times and in certain situations are essentially undistinguishable from each other. Um, but as far as the folks that are, that are not, that, again, going back three and a half months, the folks that would come in, take a look at our prices, and turn around and walk back out in a huff, um, those are the folks that are going to go right back to Johnny on the street corner, you know. Now, what's happened over time, though, is now our prices are about 20 bucks a gram pretty much across the board. Um, we've got one gram packaging uh, pretty much across the board. I've got a pre-roll, for example, that's very nearly one gram. It's Red Dragon. It's a very popular strain, and we're selling that for 10 bucks, including sales tax. So we've seen a tremendous drop mm -hmm. on a percentage basis. We've seen a tremendous drop in, in, in prices. And so now more and more people that are coming in are people that potentially would 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 be buying it illegally um, because illegally black market is more readily available here in the Ellensburg area than medical is. 
um, and we're we're making some inroads in that area. And I've always said, you know, being the salesperson, I've always said if I could be, I could, if I could get in that 15, 16, 17, 18 bucks a gram range uh, for tested, safe, clean, high quality marijuana, I could close 95% of the of the people who would otherwise perhaps go back to Johnny on the street corner and purchase it, you know, illegally. Um, but my, but, and then, and what's happened over time is I've gotten this wide variety of people. I've got, I've got three to five percent of the people that do come in here. They're your, they're your, you know, atypical, uh, stoner, you know, um, just kind of what you might picture when you think of marijuana and, Maybe what the people were afraid of when recreational got passed, um, but that's only about three to five percent. And the other, the other roughly ninety-five plus percent, uh, they're going to range in age from about twenty-five to ninety-five, and I mean that quite literally. Um, the average age of the people that are walking through my 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 little pot shop red front door, recreational pot shop uh, pot shop front door, probably is forty plus. My average, my average age, um, and I would venture to say too that 50 to 60 percent of the people that walk through the door have had issues that they're trying to deal with, and they don't want to buy it illegally. They wouldn't buy it illegally. I'm a perfect example of somebody who's I'm 55 years old. I would never in a million years consider buying buying it illegally, um, and I've got a lot of those folks in here too. But a lot of those folks that would not consider buying it illegally are also trying to deal with issues. Uh, in an alternative fashion to old fa- or to prescribed uh, medications, opiates, uh, oxy this and oxy that, and, uh, Percocet, Vicodin, uh, and and as shocking as it was to me anyway, there's actually people that are currently uh, taking prescription morphine for a variety of issues, all kinds of issues, uh, and they're trying to use marijuana as an alternative to these 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 drugs, legal drugs prescribed drugs, but nonetheless, you know, toxic and dangerous and uh, not without side effects. Um, just quickly, because I don't really know much about it. How, how do your prices compare? How do recreational prices compare with medical prices? You know, I think we're getting awful close. Um, my, my 20 bucks out the door um, is about 1851 plus tax. We're 8% sales tax here in, in Kittitas County in Ellsberg. Um, you know, that 1850 is probably still a couple, two, three bucks ahead, uh, of most of the medical prices I've heard, you know? Um, but there's never been a real medical market in Ellensburg though, right? Like in probably a lot of small towns that really, never no, really took off there, there, right? There is a medical dispensary up in Roslyn, just out the Al, I think the mailing address is Roslyn. It's kind of between Cleelum and Roslyn, uh, up near Suncadia, on the way to Suncadia, um, and I and I hear that we're getting awful close. They're you know typically they're oh on the lower end you know they're ten twelve bucks a gram on the upper end for what we normally carry and kind of our average it's it's getting it's in the range of fourteen fifteen bucks a gram and and here we are at eighteen eighteen fifty a gram and um, so we're we're you know we're, we're battling you know we're battling for that business and there's the convenience there's the you know there's the roughly eighty mile round trip up and back to go up there to this medical dispensary and. And then the the cards, I you know the, the the medical cards that people get from doctors, I I hear figures anywhere from forty bucks to get a card to two hundred and forty bucks to get a card. The average seems to be around one hundred and sixty, hundred and seventy bucks, something like that. And a lot, and those cards are only good for a year. So 
and with all the all the hubbub going on, all the conversations, um, all the stories about raids, and uh, in California there was uh, there was a raid at the dispensary in in Seattle this past weekend that was actually carried out by the federal government. Um, I don't know a lot of details. Um, Where did you say that was? Hush, hush. It was in Seattle. Oh wow. I don't really get that. Why you hear about a raid here and there, but why? Why is it? Is that seems strange? It's like they're just sort of exerting some force almost randomly, but they must have done something wrong, I would think. Well, what's interesting about medical marijuana in Washington State? It's not really legal in its present form, and this is why. A while back, the legislature, Congress passed a medical marijuana law. But then Governor Christine Gregoire at the time vetoed the law, and then it just kind of sat. Now, I'm no lawyer. I'm not a politician, and I don't know all the nitty-gritty details. While the law was passed by Congress, it was vetoed by the governor. It doesn't become law, therefore, because Congress did not take it back, take the issue back, and override the veto with a 60% uh, uh, majority. So we've been in this no man's land ever since then, and I don't, I don't necessarily blame the medical marijuana folks, um, you know, for it would be analogous to, you know, building a freeway, and then saying, okay, you're okay to drive on it, and they never pass any rules or regulations about speed limits, about towing capacities, about you know, tailgating, uh, road rage, anything. So in the absence of in the absence of any real laws, any real compliance issues, it just kind of took off on its own, and there was, there has never been, it's really it's it's a it's a failure on our on our on our state uh, congress that they have not dealt with this prior to this. It just it just was silly how it just took off and nobody did it, so it just evolved and morphed and warped and. You have, you have some people that are running it the right way. They're definitely doing it the right way. We, I don't want to in any way besmirge, you know, 100% of the medical marijuana folks. Some of them really do care. They have patience. They have compassion. They're, they're having their product tested. They're buying it from reliable sources. And, uh, but the cold hard fact is there's two primary problems. There's the problem with the fact that probably a, a very high percentage of medical folks are not necessarily running it the way it was intended to be run. Um, and they're taking advantage of some situations, calling, calling their organizations nonprofit. And the way it works typically is, is if I'm a medical marijuana consultant, you would come to me with your card, which I could probably provide you without too much difficulty on the, on the, in the building next door, more than likely. But you come to me, and I give you the marijuana for free. You have issues with migraines. You have issues with fibromyalgia. You have issues with... Uh, rheumatoid arthritis, or you have a you have a sore knee, or you've got a bad arm because you were a pitcher in high school and college. So I I give you the marijuana, and if you care to make a donation back to me, that's that's fine. You can make a donation back to my my company because it's a nonprofit. But believe me, you're not getting out of the you're not getting out of the building without making the donation. You know what I mean? So it's a little bit of a sham. That's that side of it. And then the other side of it is the fact that the medical cards themselves are a sham because while there are plenty of people, and I mentioned 50 to 60% of the people that walk through my door have legitimate medical issues that they're trying to deal with. Um, many, many people that have medical cards, I have many, many of them come through my front door and say, well, I got my medical card, but there's nothing wrong with me. Um, you know, I hear tale of, 
doctors flying into Pullman, for example, early this fall. They fly into town. They, they see 1,100 students. They write 1,100 medical marijuana recommendations. And then they fly back to wherever they came from. This kind of thing apparently has been going on relatively unchecked for quite some time. Um, and again, not to take away from the folks who have legitimate issues that they're trying to deal with. They definitely exist. I've seen them. But there's also probably as many, if not more, that have just used the medical recommendation, the medical card, in order to use marijuana for a purely recreational basis. And therein lies the problem on the other half of the equation. So um, it's a, it, 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 people, will, people will run amok. I mean, people will push the limits. They will, they will push the boundaries of good sense. They will, they will push and push and push. And in the absence of any kind of compliance, any kind of authoritative pushback, um, things that things will get out of control, and they just have. It's that simple. Uh, the problem with that is now to undo that. These folks are so entrenched. They feel so entitled. They've had it their way for so long, virtually living and operating in a world with little or no regulation and virtually no taxation. Um, you can you can understand why they're a little upset about this whole movement. So there's there's uh, there's a lot of pushback from the medical community, and of course they're pulling pulling out all the stops, the World War II veteran in the wheelchair that's being treated for his Alzheimer's and his dementia and his Parkinson's and is on a fixed income and who otherwise would be left to fend for himself without these medical dispensaries and these patients and these consultations and this, and this marijuana that's being used to treat these, these various ailments. Um, if I was, if I was the, the marketing person, if I was the PR person for these folks, that's exactly what I would do. And so, they're doing it in, in, in full force. But you, you think, I thought I've heard you say this before, but you think that medical marijuana in Washington State, at least, will be dead within maybe a couple of years. Is that right? In its present form, yes. What, what will, the, the fact that there should be medical marijuana is beyond question. I believe that there should be. Um, but I also believe that many of the rules and regulations and restrictions, see, I feel like I'm over-regulated and I'm, under ta I'm over-taxed, and that's got to be fixed. Um, and I also feel conversely that medical marijuana in its present form is completely unregulated and, and, and virtually untaxed. So, but I don't think it's realistic. I don't think it's realistic to just tell the 384 medical dispensaries, okay, you have to qualify for 502. You have to pass all the vetting. You have to pass the 1,000-foot the rule. We have to check out your money, your history, uh, the people that work for you. You know, what we went through to get this state 502 recreational license is absolutely un unbelievable, and I'm not sure you know the whole story, and that would be a, that would be a, a documentary for an entire podcast probably, just the, pro just the process um, of, actually, of actually qualifying for the lottery and then winning the lottery and then qualifying and actually obtaining an actual license in an actual location to actually begin selling actual product. It's, it has been an incredible ordeal, um, very invasive, uh, very expensive, very time-consuming, and just very, very, very difficult. Ninety percent of the dispensers in the state of Washington, if they, do sim if they simply apply the 1,000-foot rule, the 1,000-foot rule means that a dispensary or a recreational store has to be at least 1,000 feet away from any school, hospital, daycare, um, park, or library. Boom. 
Well, if 80% of your dispensaries are located in Seattle proper and you apply that 1,000-foot rule, wow. I mean, how many is going to qualify for that? It's not really a 1,000-foot rule. What you'd want to do is you'd have to draw, put a, put a pencil point and draw a 1,000-foot radius. So now you have a 2,000-foot diameter circle where you can't have any of those five entities within that 1,000-foot radius. Otherwise, you don't qualify to, to have a location there. They're already talking about caving on the 1,000-foot rule and backing up to 500-foot. Then you're talking, they're talking now in, in, in terms of, 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 of weakening that even further by actual, not line of sight, but by actual foot traffic to, main, to make that trip from that point to that library or to that daycare or to that hospital, if that makes sense. So I'm not sure what's going to come out of this ultimately. Um, everybody talks real tough about, about getting the medical under control, um, about bringing it into the 502 regulatory world. Um, the fact of the matter is most of them won't survive that vetting process. Um, um, they won't be able to, for example, for example, prove where they got their money. If they haven't paid taxes, they haven't kept payroll, they haven't paid payroll taxes and L&I and B&O and collected sales tax, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, you have no official records of how they came up with the money that they're going to now turn around and invest in the 502, what would become from move from medical into recreational, they wouldn't be able to prove where they got their money. That was a, that's a big, big deal with the state liquor control board is where did you get your money? The money cannot come from outside Washington State. It has to be verified every dime. I had to show bank accounts, credit card uh, statements, savings account statements, income, uh, you know, copies of payroll checks for six straight months. And every dime of variance had to be explained, whether it was interest earned or a variance in, in pay or a spiff or a bonus or, you know, whatever the case may be, most of these guys won't be able to pass these, this, this heavy, heavy, heavy uh, vetting process to be able to get that license. But at the end of the day, I just don't think that they're going to they're gonna stand. It's a little bit, at the risk of being really political, um, it's like the immigration situation on a national level. We've got 11 million people plus in this country we can't just realistically kick them back out of the country. They're here. This is existing. We have to be humane. These are business people. They are real people. They are treating real people. Um, we can't just shut them down. I just don't believe that's possible. I don't believe it's going to happen. I don't even think it should happen necessarily. But they have to do something to get these folks under control because They've just had it their own way for too long, and they're really fighting any kind of any kind of uh, regulations, any kind of taxation at all. So, and what kind of pushback have you received in Ellensburg as a result of this whole process? Both, both, I'm curious, both kind of professionally at, as the business, and then just kind of personally. I mean, what it's what has it been like? Well, um, there's only officially the city of Ellensburg officially has been fantastic. The city manager, the city attorney, the city council, the, the mayor, um, uh, the fire marshal, uh, the captain of the police department. I've never met Mr. Miller, the chief of police, but I've, I've the, the captain, Captain Jim Kitely, has been in my store on four different occasions. Uh, once because I invited him. Um, the, the Friday before we opened, I had all those folks into my store for kind of a, hey, I just wanted them to meet me. I wanted them to meet your mother. I wanted them to see the store. I wanted them to get an idea of the security and, and, the, and the process 
which frankly they were they were woefully uh, unprepared for. They they really didn't know what we had to go through to get this license. So after about a 45 minute meeting with all these folks, they were they were very much reassured about the about the situation and very much reassured about me and and how we were going to run this business. So officially, the city of Ellensburg has been fantastic. There is a group. It's it's the Kittitas County Coalition and Alliance, I think is what it is. Actually, I joined this 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 group because their primary their their sole reason for existence, frankly, is to educate youth, uh, teens, as to the dangers of tobacco, alcohol, opiates, which is a very big problem, and marijuana. Uh, so I joined this group. Ann Riley, who's director of this alliance, asked me, well, why do you want to join this group? And I said, well, Ann, I want the same things. I don't want some 15-year-old doing any of those things, you know. So we have the same goals. But there are individuals in this group that have actively campaigned um, against me. They've been working against me every step of the way. They don't do it very overtly. They do it behind the scenes. But um, my enforcement officer, uh, Sergeant Matt Murphy of the Liquor Control Board, actually at one point here about six weeks ago showed me a, a series of emails from this individual who's one of the three or four paid um, employees with this with this group. He's completely federally funded, and they run out of federal funding at the end of next year, which is kind of ironic. But um, uh, a, a whole series they need more of more marijuana sales. <laughs> Huh? They need more marijuana sales to fund the bill. Right, right. Well, we can get to some of the math too. You'll be you'll be amazed at some of the numbers that this little 200 square foot store is cranking out insofar as tax revenue. But <clears throat> the, the, this uh, this lady in particular is on a first name basis with my law enforcement uh, my enforcement officer with the liquor control board. Um, and after about the fourth or fifth uh, inspection series of questions where I wasn't really doing anything wrong, I said, Matt, what is going on here? What, 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 what's, what are you doing? What, 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 you're, you're kind of barking up the wrong tree here. And he said, well, you just, you've got quite a file here in Ellensburg. And I said, what do you mean? And he said, he said, well, you've just had a lot of complaints. And uh, I go, complaints? Well, about what? And I just this and that and your signs and your business and is it legal? And they're, and they're, they're, they're actively, it's, and in, in, in talking with these folks, and I have tried to talk with them, although it's been very difficult. They don't want to talk face to face. They don't want to meet me. They don't want to see. They want to see it the way they see it. And the way they see it is that um, it's it's almost like I brought marijuana to Ellensburg. You know, it's like it wasn't a problem until I got here, until I opened the store. And I told I told Ann. Riley, the director, I said, Ann, I got news for you. <laughs> the easiest place in the world to buy marijuana in Ellensburg is at the high school and at the college. Um, it was here long before I got here. And what's interesting is I believe that what we're trying to do, and this is where law enforcement's beginning to kind of collectively sort of swing their opinion. They like the transparency. They like the fact that if I sell marijuana to a, a, a minor, a 20-year-old, it's a felony. It isn't a $250 fine and a slap on the wrist and you shut down for a day. It is a felony. And that's, that's a motivator to be sure and not ever break the rules. You know, and it's the wrong thing to do anyway, but that's a hammer. I mean, that is a, that is a threat in and of itself. So I was trying to explain to the folks, hey, we have the same goal here. We might have different methods on how we get there. But the more that I could be dealing legally 
and the more of the business that we can take from the illegal, the gray market, the black market, then the less that's going to be available out there to these kids that you're so concerned about taking care of. So we should have the same, we have the same goals in mind. Um, but they don't, they just kind of choose not to see it that way. They're, they're fighting me every step of the way. And I've, and I've indicated to them, I said, Ann, if, what do you think is going to happen if you drive me out of business? There'll be another one that takes my place. There will be two recreational marijuana stores in the city of Ellensburg. There will be. And I'm the best person in the world for you to be running one of these stores. No one's going to care more about the public than I do. No one's, no one's going to care more about kids than I do. You know, no one's going to do a better job of taking care of, of to make sure that we're doing business with only those folks who should be doing business with us. Nobody. Nobody. Nobody's going to care as much as I do. So be careful what you wish for. It's a little bit like the, you know, the argument about drilling in, uh, you know, the Gulf of Mexico. Okay, so we ban American companies from drilling in the Gulf of Mexico. Well, then what happens? The Chinese and the Russians move in. And while our oil companies don't have a perfect glowing record, I'll stack up Shell Oil against any Russian or Chinese company for caring about the environment. You know, so, yeah, you ban us. Well, what takes its place? Somebody who may, may be much worse. And, um, and that's an argument that's fallen on deaf ears as well. You know, but um, that's, that's truly the way I feel about it. And that's my drop argument. That's my drop argument. My drop argument is, you know, if you drive me out of business, the person that comes in to take my place, it's not a question of whether they're going to take my place. They will. There's, there's seven other folks that were in the lottery that didn't win that are itching to get in this business right now and hoping I do fail because they'll slide right into my spot. The number three, the number four, the number five, the number, it's like shark's teeth. You know, you lose one, another one pops right up in its place. So, Yeah, it's, it, it's definitely interesting. I mean, I have to admit it, you know, it's just such a change. Just, just, just the family. I, it's just funny. It, it's a new thing and uh, it isn't, it's new in so many ways. I mean, you're one of the first people in the whole country to do it. It's definitely new for our family. I don't, marijuana i you know we never some people are like this but we were weren't like the family where you know it's like someday we're gonna we're gonna smoke a doobie together it just uh, didn't didn't seem like that you know i was gonna pop up and uh but it is it is interesting i mean it's just it's just capitalism at work i mean uh it's uh and i well it it when I when I testified I testified in Olympia before the uh, the uh, subcommittee on government accountability and oversight, who's the committee that's been in, placed in charge along with the budget committee, in charge of all things 502. And uh, they have they, this particular subcommittee has two lawyers that that continually uh, advise the group on legal matters. And one of these uh, counselors asked me how I was feeling, and I said, Well, I feel like a trailblazing guinea pig. He said, you know, that's perfect. That's exactly what you are. That's the best description I've heard yet. Um, but, the, but going back to the, to the town situation here, that's a, that's a situation that pops up about every two or three weeks. You know, it's not something that's daily. I don't get ugly phone calls. I don't get ugly mail. I don't have people picketing. I, I don't have that. Um, the vast majority of the folks that are here have been quiet about their negativity it's been amongst themselves or they've been neutral or they've come in it hasn't presented daily concerns uh for me uh or for um uh or for uh 
you know, the, the family. Um, it hasn't. It's been 97% pleasant. It really has. Um, and, of course, I try to keep up with the rules, although that's a challenge in and of itself to run a business because the rules aren't, 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 aren't fixed. They're dynamic. They're changing. They're adapting uh, every week. Every week there's some kind of a little tweak in the advertising or the packaging or the, you know, what. It's, it's, a, it's a constant. Here's how it works. If I have a question at all, I call Matt, my enforcement officer, and I ask him. And I put it on him to answer my question. I don't assume anything. You know, when in doubt, I email and I call Matt. I do both. And that way I've got a written record of him being notified that I have a question about this. And I leave it up to him. And frankly, a lot of times he doesn't know. He doesn't know. Yeah, so you're just, it's the first, it's like a, yeah, it's just the first round of, something where all the rules aren't set yet and the and um I'm sure it'll look a lot different in five years, right? I mean probably quite a bit. I think I, I think so. The my life would certainly be made a lot easier once we once we uh once the federal government chooses to uh reclassify marijuana as a schedule three. Um and, and just so just so your your listeners understand, schedule one uh controlled substance at the federal level, a lot of people have probably heard that terminology, but here's what it means in in layman's terms, it means that the federal government officially feels that marijuana is on par and equal to, if not worse than, ecstasy, LSD, uh, uh, methamphetamine, and heroin. Um, so that's the group it, that it's in it, there with? <laughs> right. Uh, schedule 2, cocaine is actually Schedule 2. So officially the federal government feels that cocaine is not as dangerous as, as marijuana. And here are the three criteria that must be met in order for a drug to be considered Schedule One controlled substance at the federal level, it must be highly addictive. We could probably argue about that. Um, it has to be hallucinogenic. I think we could argue about that, maybe. I don't believe it is, but we could argue about that. But the third and final, and the, and the crux of it, is the straw that breaks the camel's back is it can have no medicinal value, zero medicinal value. Well, I visited with our U.S. congressman, a man named Dave Reichert. He was the King County Sheriff for eight years. Uh, he's been in Congress now. This is his third or fourth term. He just won re-election. He was in law enforcement. He's been in law enforcement for 33 years. I sat in his office with myself, uh, Kevin Deet from Gecko Growers up in East Wenatchee, Mr. Reichert, and his, and his uh, assistant, who just took notes, Tom Young. We sat for an hour and 20 minutes. Uh, Mr. Reichert told me of several situations in his own family where people had, had received help uh, in treating, either treating an illness or had been helped at the end of life with a cannabis-related product. So he said, and I quote, he says, you guys have kind of got us on that. It's really hypocrisy that we consider marijuana to have zero medicinal value because he just, he piped up and, and gave us three individuals in his own family who had received cannabis-related treatments in either the, the fight against cancer or after the fight had failed uh, in hospice uh, to, to help, uh, help with the end-of-life issues and just uh, provide some relief, you know, from some discomfort uh, to make the end a little smoother. So <laughs> there's a bill before Congress today, at least there was last Thursday. It's called the uh, Veterans... Uh, Veterans Equal Access Act, 
the VA is officially petitioning Congress to, uh, of course, now Congress has gone home for the, for the holiday, so they won't take it up until after the first of the year. But there is a bill before Congress, as I understand it, that the VA is petitioning Congress to allow them to administer cannabis-related products uh, to their veterans for a variety of issues, not just PTSD, although that's a biggie, but other issues with, that comes with aging, dementia, Parkinson's, uh, Alzheimer's, um, pain-related issues, surgery, surgery uh, rheumatoid arthritis, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. They want to get permission to administer cannabis-related products, and it, it, it may not even be it may not even be products with THC. It may not be intoxicants at all. Uh, it may just be the CBD. It may just be the medical side. You know, there are ways to strip out uh, the, the the things that make you high from the, folk, the from the things that can actually help you medically with pain issues, et cetera, et cetera. But the, but it's still the same product. Starts off as the same plant. So how can you say there's no medicinal value? Zero medicinal value. And yet there's 26 states with some sort of medical marijuana laws on the books in this country currently. So that's the ultimate hypocrisy. Uh, and I don't understand, I don't understand, because it's Schedule 1, we can't even really do the research that really ought to be done. You know, Israel's been researching uh, marijuana since the 70s for 40 years. And they're getting terrific results with all kinds of things. England's working. Uh, CNN had a great show here a couple weeks ago. Um, their, their neurosurgeon, their medical specialist, oh, gosh, I hate to butcher his name. I think it's Sanjay Gupta. Uh, had a couple Gupta. of shows, a couple yeah. of shows back-to-back, went around the world, everywhere but the U.S., it seems like. They're doing all kinds of research on medical marijuana, and they have been doing it for years. They're getting some marvelous results, everything from multiple sclerosis, to Parkinson's, to dementia, some of the things that we talked about, um, some marvelous, marvelous things, Germany, Spain, Israel, England, just to name a few. But because it's Schedule One in this country, it, it, everything's kind of log-jammed. You know, nobody can move because everybody's afraid to, but, because it's illegal federally. So this, you can't get research money to do this because, you know, you can't get permission to research because of, this, is, this college is federally funded, so we can't have marijuana on campus right. because we might lose federal funding. That's why the banks, that's why I can't go down and just open up a business checking account because the banks are all federally chartered. Chartered. It's illegal federally. They can't take a chance on, you know, my little piddly, you know, my little piddly $10,000 savings account to perhaps lose their charter, which would cost them billions in some cases. You know, they can't do it. So nothing, yeah. everything is in this, is log jammed, and it's very frustrating. Um, if the federal government's right, if it's that dangerous, then why don't we take some research money? Why don't we take $50 million bucks? and do some honest, third-party, independent research and figure out what's going on here. We research mating habits of tadpoles in Guatemala, for crying out loud. Why can't we do some honest research on what this plant is capable of doing or not capable of doing, you know? Um, you have to wonder about the industries that would be, that would be harmed if marijuana did become mainstream. Uh, big alcohol obviously doesn't. Budweiser, I'm told, is a, is a, has been a big contributor to the anti-marijuana uh, uh, lobbying effort um, for the last 40 years. Uh, you have to wonder about Big Pharma, you know, Merck, some of these companies. Um, their pain it makes them a lot of money and pain control, theoretically. Um, you, you know, you're always taught as a journalist to follow the money, follow the money. Well, you kind of have to do it in reverse. You know, we're who, who, who perhaps is, is negatively impacted if marijuana becomes something of a fixture 
either on a medical side or recreational side or whatever the case may be. And and it's not easy. You don't have to look very far. I'm with you. I'm with you. Keep fighting the good fight. I, I should probably uh, let you go. I know that you just uh, worked a whole day of slanging that marijuana. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> um, yeah, I think that's, I think we're probably just about, you know, out of time, but it's really interesting. It's just interesting to talk to you every time because it's such a new thing and it's just, uh, it's a new frontier and you're right out there well, on the it's, edge. It's interesting how quickly it's become normal for me it's it's really amazing i'm i'm kind of amazed at myself not necessarily with myself but at myself because it's um it's it's been it's been a very interesting ride and and again a lot of what i just shared with you i've learned because i'm politically active about this so i can't just sit back and bitch and moan and complain about it i want to actively do something about it i want to help myself um, you know, that's why you go into business for yourself. You want to control your own destiny. You want to control your life. You want to take charge. And, and, and no, nobody, uh, you know, I can't depend on anybody but me kind of a thing. If it is to be, it is up to me. And I believe in all that. But, of course, we're, it's not that simple because we're, we're, we're really in business for the state of Washington in general and looking at control boards specifically. And, frankly, they're terrible business partners between me and you and the fence post. But I have had, I've been open since August 25th, and as I mentioned, you know, in the beginning I had 40, 50 people a day. Now I've got 70, 80 people a day, but on average, I've had thousands of people through this door, and I've had hundreds of in-depth conversations about a variety of, an amazing myriad of conversations that we've had, and it's been, it's been an incredible survey. There's nobody that probably in some respects has a better working ground root, ground, uh, grassroots, ground floor level of understanding of what this means really in real life in a community like Ellensburg, or which is so similar to so many communities. So I, I have this, I have a unique seat in this whole, in this whole uh, process. And, uh, and I think, I think there's some key legislators that understand that I, I'll be, I'll definitely be invited back after the first of the year to testify further. I know that I will be, I might, I, who knows? I might even go back to D.C. at some point. Uh, I mean, I've had many conversations with Congressman Reichert's office about doing just that. Um, but I, I've talked to a lot of I've talked to a lot of I, politicians don't talk to as many people as I have in these last three and a half months. I mean, thousands of people, hundreds of heavy involved conversations. Some of them kind of acrimonious, frankly. Some of them pleasant. Some of them inter- interesting. Uh, but hundreds and hundreds of conversations. So I, I know, I know, it's amazing how little I knew. And when you know nothing, it's easy to know quite a bit in a big hurry when you're starting from zero. But, uh, it's, it's been a, it's, it's been fascinating. It's, it's a fascinating, uh, dilemma, quandary situation. Ultimately, though, I think the future is bright. I think this business will be good. I think this industry will be good. Um, uh, I, I'm not crazy about being dependent on politicians, but I am. I'm just trying to co- coach them as best I can, and that's what I will continue to do. Hmm. Cool, Dad. That's, that's so interesting. <laughs> um, but I'll, yeah, I'll, we'll talk about it more. I'm gonna be up there for, for Christmas in a few days. Yeah, yeah, you bet, you bet. And uh, if we ever, if you want to do, you know, part of this again, or uh love to love to you know we didn't talk about Oregon passing and how that pressure can help with our tax situation because your state is only going to tax at about one sixth the rate that Washington state is mm. Washington state 
as my business partner is going to have to do what they have to do to keep me competitive. And those stores in Vancouver, the stores on the border, are going to get killed if they have to compete with Oregon stores. You know, we're kidding ourselves if people aren't going to drive, you know, across 205 to save, you know, 35% in taxes. Um, um, there's so many, there's a lot of dynamics to work, and there's a lot of moving pieces. And uh, it's, it's fascinating to see it unfold. And I, and I think I have a unique perspective on the whole big picture, the federal picture, the state picture, um, retail. Uh, producers, processors don't know what I know about the consumers. They don't have these conversations with the public. Politicians don't have conversations with the public like this. You know, I, I, uh, I'm, I'm a wealth of knowledge, really, based on the fact that I've had the opportunity to have so many people walk through my little door. It's, it's, it's been amazing. I, I'm, I'm privileged. It's actually a very big responsibility to make sure that this works. This, this needs to work. This is a good thing. Um, and for me, there's no going back. I'm, I'm Columbus. I landed, and I burnt the boat. There's no way go, to, I'm going back to the old world, you know. I'm, I'm stuck here, so i got to make this work. <laughs> Well, just just treat the natives well this time, you know. <laughs> right, exactly, exactly. Okay. So, well, let's talk again maybe listen, after um, first of the year once you go back and talk to some politicians again and uh, maybe get a little update. Yeah, that'd be great. Love to do it. Well, thanks for taking time to talk to us tonight. And I'm sorry, like most conversations I'm in, I dominated this one. <laughs> I, I, you know, God gave me two ears and one mouth, and I got to try to keep that relationship better in mind. I guess. No, it was really interesting. Maybe I mean, <laughs> oh, I'm totally used to it. It's completely fine. I wouldn't have it any other way. No, I know you are. <laughs> All right, Dad. Anyway, love yeah, you. I've enjoyed it. I, I, you know, talking is what I do, um, and I, 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 I like it. I'm good at it. This is something I'm passionate about because it's my life now. I'm all in. Mm-hmm. You know, there is nothing else for me. So. Um, that, that 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 fear is a great motivator. <laughs> so, all right. Good night, Dad. Bye bye. Love you. Bye. bye. bye.